This is July 9, 2016 at Shippensburg Bible School, and this is Brother Roger Lewis's sixth class on the spiritual habits of the saints of God, which he is entitled, Guarding the Heritage of the Truth of God. Thanks, Seth, and good morning, everyone, on this last morning of the sessions. So um, I just want to go back as to where we got to last yesterday, because we, um, we probably finished a little bit early. Um, I think Uncle Bob was going to copy a copy of my core values document for my ecclesia. Um, so did you all get those? You did? You did. Okay. Oh, they're on the table. So if anyone wants a copy of that core values document that I showed yesterday, they're on the table at the back. You know, raise your hands if you didn't get one and would like one. Okay. So can we just maybe just do a quick, quick distribution now? Because um, we might as well just hand those out for what it's worth. Now, the thing about this is, you know, if you're in an ecclesia, you've got to actually take these and um, adjust it for your own ecclesia. So there's a whole pile on the other side. So now you've got to distribute them evenly and fairly. Okay, so it sounds like we haven't got enough, is that right? Okay, all right. So I'm sure if we speak to someone on the committee, we could get another, another few done. You got two more? Okay, so um, uh, hands up those that still didn't get one and would like one. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So we need about another, another dozen or something. So um, maybe we could get a word passed to um, Uncle Bob. So we'll leave it for the taping brother to uh, see whether he can organise that. I don't, think, I don't think the taping brother heard me, actually. But we'll ask the taping brother if he could organise that. Would that be possible? Excellent, thank you. So what we looked at yesterday, you remember, and this is what that core value document is about, is that these are the five, I've been told to use this one, these are the five key areas of uh, ecclesial life. Things to do with worship. What would the main um, activity in the ecclesia be where we would be involved in matters of worship. What main ecclesial activities can you think of? Yes. Yes, so the memorial meeting would be the main meeting of worship. And what would be the main um, meeting for matters of learning in an ecclesia? Any thoughts on that? Sunday school would be one. Uh, exhortation would be one, although exhortation is supposed to be devotional, so it may not be as expositional, but Certainly the Bible class, the main Bible class in the Ecclesia, is that what you were going to say? Yeah, main Bible class would be the key activity for learning. What about matters of witness? What would be the key activity in the Ecclesia for matters of witness? Yes? Uh, no. Um, how would we witness to the truth, in other words? What's the key activity in an Ecclesia where we're involved in matters of witness? Either running public lectures or running seminars. So they would be the key thing an ecclesia is involved in. But there's lots of other matters of service in ecclesial life. And in fact, in that core values document, I've got a list at the bottom of all the things that go on in ecclesial life where that aspect of ecclesial life, in fact, occurs. Now, look, just remember that that core values document is something that was crafted in our ecclesia and for our ecclesia. So that's certainly not to say that every other ecclesia should copy that, but it might give you ideas to think about 
what might be necessary in your ecclesia. But the key was that we believed that each one of these three uh, five items were based on ecclesial, uh, the ecclesial structure in apostolic times, that the um, Acts of the Apostles in particular seems to talk about each of these matters going on in ecclesial life. Now, the reason why that's uh, helpful to just remind ourselves about this morning is because of um, a, a little exercise I'm going to give you shortly in terms of um, our study for this morning. I missed one slide from yesterday, which I thought I would just show you before we move on. And it's a quotation from uh, Brother John Thomas. And he said this, When someone is deeply and continuously engaged in an atmosphere of divine thoughts, they have neither the time nor inclination to plot mischief or play the fool. So what he's really saying is, the ecclesia is not a place for mucking around. It's not a place to plot mischief or play the fool. This, he says, is the vocation of vacant minds and idle hands who know not what it is to enter within the veil. It is essential to contentment, if not to happiness, to be engaged in something for oneself or for an object dearer than self. Now, this is the paradox about God manifestation. Um, just a show of hands, was there anyone in this group here who were here for the night I dealt with the selfie generation? Anyone here? No, actually, I don't think it was this class, was it? It must be the class. What's the class below this one? What's that? Yeah, I did six to eight. I did a, a night called The Bible's Challenge to the Selfie Generation. And yes, you know the funny thing about selfies? The funny thing about selfies is that people take pictures of themselves hoping to find who they are. This is me at the Eiffel Tower. This is me at the Tower of London. This is me at the Grand Canyon. This is me on the top of Machu Picchu. And somehow, because we've got a picture of me in front of all these important places, it must reveal to me perhaps who I am, or perhaps even make sense of the Eiffel Tower, because I'm there, and it is all about me. So let's take another picture of um, uh, me. So selfies, uh, it's like a classic icon, really, for a generation that's obsessed with self. You ever heard the story of Narcissus? Narcissus is the story from Greek mythology of the boy that looked in the pool and said, what an amazingly beautiful person, and he fell in love with himself. Actually, every time you take a selfie, what you've really done is press the Narcissus button on your phone. and Say, let me fall in love with myself all over again. Ah, what an amazing face. And now I better send that to thousands of people because the whole world needs to know and see my face again for the hundredth time. Now, the paradox of a selfie generation is everyone is desperate to find out who they are. And you know what the answer is? The answer is you'll never find yourself until you lose yourself in God's purpose. And when we lose ourselves so completely in God's surface, service that it becomes an object greater than us, bigger than us, more important than us, so that we're lost in the service of God and manifesting the Father suddenly you find who you are. It's a paradox. But the more you try and figure out who you are by focusing on self and taking more pictures of self, you'll never find who you are. Because in fact, the purpose of life stands outside of self and focused on God, not self. Now, this is partly why it's so important to make a contribution to the ecclesia. So Brother Thomas says, the ecclesia is not the place for fooling around. The ecclesia is the place to get stuck into the work of the truth, to be serious about it. And, and I love that phrase. You see that in the middle? He says, you've got to learn what, it's, what it means to enter into those things that lie beyond the veil. Oh, you remember how the tabernacle had the 
outward court and then the holy place and then there was the veil and beyond that veil, what lay beyond the veil? The ark of the covenant of God where the glory of God dwelt. The secret Shekinah shining of God. Everyone wanted to see what lay beyond that veil. Everybody wanted to see what lay beyond that veil. And you know what? Since I've been 15, I've always wanted to know what lies beyond the veil. And that's why I bury my head in the scripture, because only in the scripture can I see what lies beyond the veil. Well, we all do. And Brother Thomas says that should be our, our mission in life, is to actually give our hearts and minds to the truth so fervently and so passionately that we want to tread beyond the veil to see holy things. And we'll only ever see them if we put ourselves in a state where God can bless us so that once in a while we feel as if we've gone beyond that point. So our last study for this morning is guarding the heritage of the truth of God. So I'm going to give you a little exercise to do, and I've given you a clue by how we've started this morning. We want to talk about guarding the heritage of God. So I'm going to turn you into some bigger groups this time. So can I take tables one and two? Uh, let me think about this. Uh, tables one and two, but I'll add you to table one and two. Is that all right? And ladies, can I get you to join tables three and four? So the four, the, 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 the quartet here in the middle, if you can become part of that bigger group. And I think what we'll do here is, how many got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So can I take you two ladies to join the central group here? And we'll make one team out of that and you three tables there. All right. So we're going to reconfigure into tables. So Move your chairs and figure out a way of sitting around together now. And I'm going to give you an exercise uh, about this particular topic. Okay. So what I'd like you to now do for five minutes of, of group discussion, and you might, again, want a piece of paper just to have someone as a scribe or someone just to jot thoughts down. So you can self-appoint scribes. Okay. It's always dangerous having a piece of paper handy, isn't it? So, whoever the scribe... Oh, we, we've got a scribe there. Excellent. Look, pen poised, ready to roll. Now, um, you two guys are going to join this group here. Is that right? No, that's right. You, you okay to converse? That's You're not going to be prevented from speaking? Good. Um, so, here's the question. You can't guard the heritage of the truth if you don't know what it is. So if I was to ask you to list what you think are the seven key things in the truth that you believe should be guarded as its heritage, what would you put down? So that's the question. I want you to write down what you think are the top seven things that you think should be guarded as the heritage of the truth. Everything you know about what we believe as Christadelphians. Anything and everything. If there was just seven things that you would say, you know what, I think that's a really vital part of the heritage of the truth. That's something we should guard. What would those seven things be? So what I'm saying is you may, what I would do is I just brainstorm in your group and go flat out. Think of everything you can think of. Get it down, get it down, get it down, get it down, get it down. And when you've got a big list, then as a group you need to say, okay, now if we've got to cut that down to seven, what would we cut this down to? So start with more and then try and eliminate it back down to 
what do you think the seven best things, seven most important things are? All right, your time starts now. Yep, so that's great. Put it down. Yep, so hope of the kingdom, put that down. Bible is the only authoritative document. That's a good one. The Bible's the only authoritative document. That's a, that's a good one, yeah. Yep. So they're, they're all great. So you keep rolling like that. That's good. Yep. So this is the, this is a serious all-male team. So what do you got so far? I'd go to the kingdom. Yep, yep, good. They're all, they're all great. Keep going. Yeah. I could just have a show of hands of those that didn't get a copy of that um, uh, core values document because I've got some more, and I'll just hand them out while we're here. For you, madame. Okay. For you, madame. So the whole of this table missed out. That's shocking, isn't it? You think you were discriminated against, like, like the poor widows in Jerusalem? Okay, one for you. Okay, one for you. One for you. Anyone else? I think we'll. Um, I think we'll wrap that up. Let's just. Um, <clears throat> you can stay in your groups for the moment. Let's just talk about this. So, um, if I was to ask you now, of all the things in the truth that you believe should be guarded, what would you put at the top of the list? So I'll come round the groups. What would you put at the top of the list, gentlemen, at the front? Any thoughts on that? Where do you think, where do you think it all begins? What would you put at the top of the list? Any thoughts? You can all think about that. If your group's happy to put something at the top of the list, feel free to put your hand up. Yes? Washington, D.C. over there, yeah? Say that again. God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 verse 1. Right, so what is it that you're wanting to guard? And why do you want to guard that? Okay, alright, so... So the, the idea that God created the heavens and the earth, which is where the, the book of the Bible begins anyway, actually you could argue the doctrine of God manifestation out of there as well, couldn't you? Because why did God create the heavens and the earth? He did it because he had a purpose, and that purpose was to fill the heaven and the earth with his own glory, and that's why he created the heavens and the earth. So in fact, out of Genesis 1 verse 1 would come the doctrine perhaps of God manifestation, beginning in that passage. So hands up those that had God manifestation as one of the seven things they'd want to guard as the heritage of the truth. Well, I was hoping you'd all say that because we did run a session on that, so congratulations, go to the top of the class. Um, but you see, that is where it begins, isn't it? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because he had a purpose with them. So God manifestation does begin right at the beginning of the Bible. And I think that to guard that as one of the seven things that we would see as the heritage of the truth is probably a very good thing to have down. Because remember what we said earlier, God manifestation makes sense of all our doctrines. All of the doctrines we believe in are consistent with the principle of God manifestation. 
So that's one thing we'd certainly want to guard. So very happy with that. That's good. Now, give me something else that maybe ought to be up towards the top of the list. What else do you think would be fundamental to Christadelphian thinking and belief and practice? Yes. Um, oh, there we go. Okay. Um, and in the days... Oh, wait. Okay. I have uh, Daniel 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Okay, so you're saying that a kingdom on earth in the future is a fundamental part of the heritage of the Christadelphian community. Hands yes. up those that agree with that, that think that the coming kingdom of God on earth would be central to our, our community as a belief. Yes, okay, I'm happy with that. Happy with that. And of course you realize why. So think about the connection now. Is that idea of the kingdom connected to God manifestation? Yes or no? Why? It's the place where it will happen, that's right. In fact, by the way, it's not till the end of the kingdom, is it? Because even the kingdom is full of both immortal people but also mortal sinners, and it's not till the end of the kingdom that finally mortality and sin is removed, and now God is finally all things in all. So now his purpose has been accomplished. And even the kingdom of God is but a stepping stone towards God's ultimate purpose. So I'd be happy with that. Now, what about something else that should be up there right at the top, though? In fact, I'd argue it should come even above the kingdom. Yes, anything else? I was going to say Christ being our Savior. Okay, Christ being our Savior. Can someone give me a translation of that? So any other language for that idea, Christ being our Savior? How else would you express that? Any other groups had that down in any other way? Sorry? The atonement, okay, that Christ being our Savior. So you're talking about the sacrificial work of Christ, which is really the work of the atonement. So... Uh, who would think that the atonement is a critical part of the heritage of the Christadelphian community? Look, I, I would say that you'd be right. You can put up your hands for everything if you want to feel safe, by the way. <laughs> but I think you'd be right because our understanding of the atonement is based on our understanding of God manifestation. If you do not understand God manifestation, you also will not have a proper view of the atonement. So the atonement is not a legal resolution to a technical problem. The atonement is itself a way of life that leads us to manifesting the Father because of what he's accomplished for us in Christ. So the atonement has a moral dynamic outworking in our lives. The atonement is not just to be seen in Christ, it's to be practiced in our lives. It's the way by which God leads us to God manifestation. So that's pretty important. Very important. So we've got God manifestation. I'm taking your Genesis 1 as God manifestation. Thank you for the permission to do so. Uh, the kingdom of God, the work of Christ, the atoning work of Christ, yes? Now, something else that should be up there near the top. Anyone else like to suggest another thing that should be right up near the top? We've got a lot of stuff at the top here, haven't we? Anything else you'd like to add? Something that we would guard within our community something that we believe sets us apart from most of the churches. Yes? Uh, put down fellowship, and I have Acts 2, 42, and they continue Okay, yep, good quotation. So, so excellent passage, Acts 2, 42. So the concept of fellowship, right? Did you have your hand up for something connected to that? 
Say that again. Okay, we don't believe in the Trinity. So I would link that back to God manifestation. We believe in the one true God, and the oneness of God is part of God manifestation. So as a result of that, we also don't believe in the Trinity. I'd accept that, absolutely. But I'd sort of connect it to the God manifestation doctrine, which is the positive side. The no Trinity is the negative side, but it's connected. So yes, fellowship would be an aspect of, of the truth that we want to guard, which incidentally is about not just our fellowship responsibilities, but the structure of fellowship. How should ecclesias function? How should ecclesias work with each other? How does the worldwide body of Christ operate? What are the, what are the spiritual rules that govern the activity of that body? So yes, fellowship as an overall concept of the community of the saints would be a very much part of the heritage of the truth. But I think there's something that still comes up near the top that we haven't got yet. So would you like to, would, shall I give you a clue? Shall I give you a key clue? Here's the clue. All scriptures inspired by God, quotation from. Excellent, just checking. And so if all scripture is inspired by God, then what do we, what do Christadelphians believe about this book? What do we believe? That it is what? It's the truth and it's the only authoritative revelation of God's mind and purpose. Is there any other? No. Do the words I think or I feel become good substitutes for what God says? No. This is the only place we can go. Now, do Christadelphians uphold that? Yes. We consider ourselves to be the people of the book. And we can only be the people of the book if we get our Bibles open and actually look in the book. So Christadelphians as a community are known for the fact that we believe in the absolute inspiration of Scripture and that it is the only authoritative revelation of God's purpose and plan. Now that's a fundamental heritage of our community. Do you know why that's so important? Because I said in one of the earlier classes, didn't I, that every time you say something, I should say back to you, prove it. Give me the Scripture. Mere assertion. You can't just tell me something. I want the Scripture. Because why? Because it's, only, it's our only authoritative basis. That's what we believe as Christadelphians. The Bible is our guide because the Bible is inspired by God. Therefore, it's our guide. So hands up those that do think that the Bible, as the inspired word of God and our only authoritative source, hands up those that would think that's one of the seven things that our community ought to guard. Why, I agree with you absolutely. We must be in fellowship. Anything else? If you only had seven, what else have you got left in the seven? So we've got down God manifestation. We've got the Bible as our only source of authority. We've got fellowship responsibilities. We've got the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. What else? Anything else? Yes. Okay, and remember what were the commandments? What, upon what two commandments hung all the commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so keeping the commandments would become summarized in those two. Would you be happy with that? So, yes, yeah, so what you're really talking about 
is keeping the commandments. So you're really talking about the fact that that needs to be a life in the truth, a life of obedience to divine principles. Is that what you're saying? So the truth must be a way of life. So hands up those that had something about a way of life or the, the you know, living as a believer and practicing the truth. Hands up what groups had something about that. Okay. Now that's probably an important aspect, isn't it? Is that, is that the truth demands that we live the life of the truth. We live by the standards of the truth. In fact, by the way, that's what fellowship is based on because the first of John chapter 1 says, we have fellowship with the Son and with the Father when we walk in the light. And if the light is the doctrine of the truth, then the walking in the light is our conduct in the truth. It's both doctrine and conduct that are the, actually the prerequisites of, of fellowship. Anything else that you think is a fundamental Bible principle that you want to guard? Yes. Baptism. Who, who else had down baptism? Okay, so most groups had baptism. So would you regard that as something to guard? Why? It's Okay. It's the only way into so the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 8 verse 12, the only way into the kingdom is through baptism into Christ. So it's the means of salvation. Absolutely right. So yes, I think that baptism would be uh, certainly an aspect that we'd want to guard as a community. We wouldn't want to say that sprinkling would be an optional way of doing it, would we? Uh, which the churches, of course, have already done. Anyone else? Now, now, who's got something else on the seven that we haven't already covered? Any, anything else on the seven that you've got? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, so essentially, um, not a lot more. What else have you got on your seven? Who, who, had, who had something about Israel? Okay. Anyone else have something about Israel? So, is our faith Jewish or related to the hope of Israel? Yes, it is. So, the Israelitist nature of the truth that the truth has, has begun and ended uh, with the Jewish people. And so it's not so much that we need to turn Jews into Christians as that we need to, in fact, embrace the hope of Israel, which is what Paul says in Romans 11, doesn't he? He says we're grafted into the Israelitish tree, into the Israelitish hope. So yes, you could argue that Israel is, is one of the things that we would want to guard. In fact, I would suggest that probably as a community, we've been slipping on that. Um, when I grew up as a boy, we always had... Um, sort of like classes every year, um, sessions every year to celebrate the hope of Israel. And we had special Israeli nights to commemorate our association with the Jewish people. I think that's something that's, that's slipped. Now look, I'm very happy with all of those answers. I'm going to stop at that point because I want to just finish with some other thoughts. But here's the point. Do you know about those things? Do you know about the atoning work of Christ and what it is that we believe about it? Do you know about fellowship and the structure of ecclesial life and what we believe about it? Do you know about the hope of Israel and what it is that, you should, that we should understand about it? Do you grasp the keys of God manifestation and would you know what they are and how you'd want to guard them? So it's one thing to put these down. It's another thing to say, I know what we believe as a community in that area and I want to see that we guard it faithfully. What I can promise you is if you don't know, you can't guard. So that leads me to my concluding thoughts in terms of uh, 
in terms of this morning. Um, if you come with me to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 31, so let me just walk you through two or three quotations. Now look, you might know these, but I find them very, very powerful because of the, um, of what they, the theme that they provide. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, you might remember these words in, um, in the days of Moses and Joshua. It says this in Deuteronomy 31 verses 7 and 8. So in Deuteronomy 31, have you got, all got Deuteronomy 31? Excellent. Verse 7, Moses called Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people into the land which Yahweh hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And Yahweh, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. And, and again, just over the page, by the way, in uh, chapter... Uh, chapter 31, verse 23, it says, And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge. And he said, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land. So what happens in Deuteronomy chapter 31 is that Moses actually speaks to, um, he speaks to Joshua. And so he says in chapter 31, Be strong and of good courage, God will not forsake thee, not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Do not fear, do not be discouraged. I give you a charge. And he said, be strong and of good courage. In fact, he said something that, that, that goes on to say in Joshua chapter 1, where God himself repeats it, only be strong, that thou mayest prosper, be not afraid, uh, for God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And so you'll see that even in those two passages, there are connecting thoughts. So be strong here, is also be strong here. And fear not, nor be discouraged here. It turns up again here, but fear not, nor be discouraged. Do you know why all this happened? Deuteronomy 31 and verse 14. All this happened because Yahweh said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves. So what was going to happen was an old man was about to die, and he wanted to know that when he did die, that the heritage of the truth in Israel would be preserved. Not because it was his heritage, but because it was God's heritage. And so Moses desired that Israel would continue to be guided in the right ways of God, and so he placed the charge of responsibility upon a young man called Joshua. And in effect, what he said to Joshua was this. He said to Joshua... He said, don't you lose the truth. I'm relying on you. And he passed the mantle of responsibility to Joshua that he would guard all those things that Moses had stood for faithfully as he took over those responsibilities. Now come to the first of Kings chapter 2. So in the first of Kings chapter 2, we've got the story of something that David says to his son, and this is what happens. First of Kings chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son. Ah, now notice the connection. The days of David drew nigh that he should die. So now we've got another old man about to die. So he says to Solomon these things. Verse 2. He said, I go the way of all flesh, 
Be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man. Keep the charge of Yahweh thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. So he gave a charge to his son because he was about to die. And he was anxious to ensure that the legacy of the truth would be preserved in the generation to come in his son's life. In fact, if you come to the book of Chronicles, to the first of Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 30, these are some more words that David said to Solomon at that time, shortly before he died. It's part of what he passed on to his son. It's in the first of Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 20. And the record says there, that David said to Solomon his son, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for Yahweh Elohim, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of God. Now I want you to notice this. So can you see all those words there? That's the charge from Moses to Joshua. Now have a look at the charge from David to Solomon. Notice anything similar? Be strong. Be strong. Keep the charge that thou mayest prosper. God will not fail thee. Fear not, nor be dismayed. And you suddenly realize that all the language that David uses when he passes that charge on to Solomon is actually from the days and from the time when Moses passed on the charge to Joshua. So David patterned himself on an earlier man of God and he deliberately uses the same expressions. And so in his guardianship, he used the very language of Moses to pass the same charge to Solomon. Now why would David do that, do you think? Why would David pass the charge on to his son Solomon and use the same language as Moses used to Joshua? Well, he did it because David regarded that what he was passing on to Solomon was the same heritage of the truth that Moses had already passed on to Joshua in his day. And now another old man is dying, and he salutes that by using the same language. David, in effect, is saying to Solomon, you need to realize that what I'm passing on to you is the same charge, the same heritage that Moses passed on to Joshua many, many years ago. And I've guarded it, and I'm passing it on to you now. Now come to the uh, book of Timothy. Uh, In fact, no, we won't come to the book of Timothy. Yes, do come to the book of Timothy. Um, But I'll put it on the screen just to make it easier because it's a bit of a combination of passages. But I want you to see the language of the Apostle Paul. And before we do that, if you do come to the second of Timothy, let me show you why Paul was doing this and Paul was saying what he was going to say. He says it for this reason. Second of Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Here's the context of what Paul is going to do when Paul passes the charge to Timothy. Why is he doing that? Because the second of Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So here's another old man about to die. Moses was about to die. He passes the charge to Solomon. David was about to die. He passes the charge Sorry, did I get that right? Moses passes the charge to Joshua. David, about to die, passes the charge to Solomon. And Paul now, about to die, 
passes the charge to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, I want you to just look at this cascade of quotations from both the first and second epistles of Timothy and ask yourself, where did Paul get these words from? This charge I commit unto thee. I charge thee before God. I charge thee in the sight of God. Where did Paul get that word from? That's the word that Moses used to Joshua. That's the word that David used to Solomon. And when Paul's passing the heritage of the truth on to Timothy, he uses exactly the same word. How about the second of Timothy? God has not given us the the, the spirit of fear, so be not ashamed. Isn't that the same as fear not, neither be dismayed from the words of of, uh, Moses to Joshua and David? Be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Keep the covenants, keep the things that are given unto thee. I charge thee before God. And we suddenly realize that the way in which Paul passes on the charge to Timothy is again using all the same language that was used by Moses to Joshua and David to Solomon. So what did these men do in their successive generations? They passed on the heritage of the truth. And in effect, this is what they said. This is what they said to the next generation. They said, and I'm telling you this now, today at this Bible school. Not because I'm about to die, by the way, hopefully, but it's the spirit of the idea, is that this is the heritage of the truth. You've talked about it today, the things that should be guarded. You should never come to the truth and imagine that all those things are free to change as you wish. They're not. You weren't asked to change the heritage of the truth. The sacred charge of the truth's heritage never changes. That's the lesson of these quotations. Your responsibility is to guard the charge, not to change it. Your responsibility is to guard the charge of the truth, not to change it. And by the time you pass it on to your sons and your daughters, you want to know that what you're passing on is the same heritage you received from your parents. That you haven't compromised the charge, you haven't negated it, you haven't diluted it, you haven't halved it, or worse still, you haven't actually fundamentally altered it. You've guarded the charge. That's what we're asked to do. And we believe as a community that we're so blessed that what we believe in terms of of Yahweh's purpose in all the earth is the very purpose that Moses knew and David knew and Paul knew and we're still guarding it today and that's our responsibility. Don't ever think that the truth is yours to play with or to change. It's not. It's delivered to you as a sacred trust to guard. I think that's such a powerful idea. So if you don't know what it is, then you won't guard it faithfully. So one of the responsibilities we have, I think, as young people, is to say, what are those things? What are those seven things that ought to be guarded? We need to find out, we need to learn about those. We need to get those absolutely nailed in terms of our understanding so that we can guard that heritage in our own age, in our own generation, so that the flame of the truth might continue to burn bright. Well, I think that's how we should go away from this Bible school, saying... Let's grasp the truth with both hands. Let's be thankful that we've been given a heritage of the truth. And let's take up the spirit of Moses and the spirit of David and the spirit of Paul and say, if the charge has been given to us and to our hands, then we'll take it and run with it as best as we can. 
and we'll start that journey by making sure that we're really clear on all those key aspects of what we think the heritage of the truth are about, and we understand why they are God's heritage to the saints. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your concentration. It's always, you know, one of these things in the school where gradually time and attention starts to diminish over the course of the classes. But I'm thankful for your presence and your excellent cooperation. Here ends the session.